Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. This episode of Talking Sleep is brought to you in part by Avidel Pharmaceuticals. The content of this episode was independently developed by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to participate in the AASM's first ever Change Agents competition. This was a program designed to look at treating obstructive sleep apnea in new and innovative ways. I'm really proud to say that my team came in second place, but today we're going to talk to the leader of the first place team, Dr. Amy Bender. Dr. Bender is the Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra Health, a medical device technology company that is working to change the future of sleep healthcare. She joins us today from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Welcome to Talking Sleep, Dr. Bender. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the Change Agents competition and maybe explain it a little bit for people who are unfamiliar. So this was an offshoot of the Sleep Disruptors course, which looked at innovative developments in sleep medicine and healthcare. And so teams were challenged to reinvent the way we diagnose and treat obstructive sleep apnea with the goal of both improving reimbursement for clinicians and improving the process for patients. So teams had about six weeks to come up with a plan and they had to submit a 6,000 word proposal and a 10 to 15 minute video outlining their idea. So the proposal had to be pretty detailed, including a financial plan, and it was really kind of like a Shark Tank pitch. And I think there were maybe seven teams that completed the competition, and Dr. Bender's team came out on top. So they won first place for their proposal, let's put the sleep back into sleep medicine. So congratulations on winning. Tell me about your project. Thank you. It was such a great opportunity for just collaboration, you know, researchers, clinicians, industry partners to really come up with an idea to change the way we diagnose and treat sleep apnea. And only in six weeks. So uh, it was quite the time crunch. It went fast, uh, didn't it? <laughs> it went by really fast. It seemed it seemed like when you had your idea, you were you were over halfway through, you know, oh, so it. Yes, it, as to at the three week point, we were joking about it. I was like, OK, three weeks in, we finally figured out what we want to do. Mm -hmm. So it was great. I mean, we had uh, we had two members uh, represented from Cerebra, myself and an, our data scientist, uh, Dr. Eric Chalmers, our scientific founder, Dr. Magdi Yunus, who's idea, you know, that he was working on is what we were using for the contest. And then we also had collaborators, Dr. Najib Ayas from UBC and Dr. Melinda Jackson from Monash and um, Rich, Dr. Richard Berry from University of Florida. So it was really a great collaboration with all of these members across the world. And we established early on that we wanted to use the theme of, you know, let's put the sleep back into sleep medicine because of the trend towards home sleep apnea testing, where we're not really utilizing, we aren't even measuring sleep. And also the fact that when we're looking at sleep in even an in-laboratory polysomnogram or an at-home PSG, we're really not leveraging the information that's contained within that. And so um, 
we were looking at the modality of using in-home level two sleep studies, but also being able to use the technology that our scientific founder, Dr. Magdi Yunus, developed on ORP sleep depth. And it seems like every day he uh, he has a new idea. So it was, it was perfect. He um, had come up with this ORP decile-based sleep architecture method and looking at different phenotypes based on this methodology and really just trying to see who may not benefit from CPAP based on them coming in with a good sleep depth score. So that was kind of the idea behind it all, um, was to be able to use this ORP decile-based sleep architecture, which is a lot different than, you know, RNK standard. So how is it different? Can you tell me a little bit more about it and, and maybe explain it for people who have never heard of ORP before? Sure. So odds ratio product is ORP sleep depth. So it's it's the most accurate measure of sleep depth. And it's looking at a continuous index derived from the relationship of EEG powers in different frequency ranges. And it's a continuous measure ranging from zero to 2.5. So zero is more of those deeper states of sleep, whereas 2.5 is full wakefulness. And so we use Fast Fourier Transform to decompose the EEG and create power within those numbers to, it's kind of complicated as you can tell, (laughs) but um, to create these ORP fingerprints that are occurring throughout the night. So instead of, you know, if you take, for example, stage two sleep um, and two, there's a lot of variability within sleep depth in that stage. So you may have, you know, mostly stage one, but a K complex before that 15 second mark. And then, you know, you're going to be scoring Mm -hmm. it as stage two versus another epic where it's almost stage three. And, you know, but we're going to be scoring it as stage two. So there's a lot of variability within sleep depth, within the different stages of sleep. So there's a lot more information we can unpack by using this continuous measure of sleep depth on this zero to 2.5 scale. And in particular, you know, this was validated in 2015. So it's been around for a while, but it was the novelty of taking the scale 0 to 2.5, dividing it into deciles, so 10 different pieces, and looking that, looking at that in different sleep apnea patients to see, you know, you compare patient one to patient two, and we see similar RNK, ASM scoring manual criteria. So we see, you know, maybe 10, uh, 10% wake, 5% and one, 45% and two, you know, 20% and three and 25% REM. Um, and you take two patients and you may see that same distribution. But when you look at it under the hood using this more fine grain measured of ORP sleep depth across these 10 deciles, there is a very, very different picture going on. And so it's a way to uncover 
more of what's going on within the uh, sleep recording. That's really cool that potentially you could have a, you know, traditional scoring, RNK scoring, ASM scoring, hypnogram that is identical in two patients, but their ORP then would be different. So then how do we use this and apply ORP then to obstructive sleep apnea? Yes, that's a very good question. Um, There may be, what we're finding is that someone with more of a normal ORP, more like a normal healthy uh, sleeper, despite having OSA, may not, um, CPAP may not benefit their ORP sleep depth that much. So it's not improving their sleep depth that much. The quality of the sleep isn't improving. And so those people may be more likely not to use or be adherent to CPAP down the road. Whereas you could potentially take someone who's coming in with a very poor ORP sleep depth and CPAP is helping them, uh, you know, a bunch. And so it may be that those individuals would more likely benefit from CPAP. So I think it's a way to understand who may or may not benefit benefit from CPAP. Um, so you're identifying them early then so that you can maybe intervene earlier? You're identifying them early and it may be a tool down the road to, you know, we're under a shortage of CPAP machines right now. And so it may be a way to predict who would be adherent to CPAP down the road, just based on their diagnostic study coming in. Oh, that's really cool. So I want to back up just for a minute, because you said something about fast Fourier transform, and I've been trying to remember what that is. And I wonder if you can help me with that. Sure. So fast Fourier transform, it's decomposing the brain waves into four different frequency bands. So you're looking at delta alpha, theta, beta. So you're taking that shot, that brainwave shot that you would see on the screen, and you're then decomposing it into different frequency bands. And so you have, instead of, you know, seeing that EEG on the screen, you're then, you're showing the delta activity, you're breaking that down, and then you're showing the alpha activity and the theta and the beta. And then we're able to look at each of those frequency bands and determine the power within each of those three-second bends. So for ORP, we're using three-second bends primarily. And then create a score for each of those. So it's, and across the entire night, you know, we're looking at potentially 10,000 different combinations. Whereas if you were to just use R and K, you know, you're only looking at the four different stages of sleep. So Fast Fourier transform is a way to kind of decompose the waves into these different frequencies. And then ORP then takes that information and determines the power within each of those bands and creates a fingerprint for all of these um, different epics across the night, which really boils down to just giving you more fine-grained information on the quality of someone's sleep during the night. So that's really, that's really cool. And I think your video, um, that was a part where the, the waves split out then. Now I, I remember on your video, you guys did a really good job demonstrating that. 
Absolutely. Yes. It's in the video. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's challenging, challenging to explain over a microphone or, you know, just talking to you. So yeah, I would encourage people to definitely check out the video because it does a good job of explaining it and gives you a visual of what's occurring. So what inspired you guys to enter the chain? Because it wasn't just your company, right? You you had different people representing different workplaces in different countries. And so what inspired you to even enter the competition in the first place? I think just the, I, I thought it was brilliant. Like it was a creative way to put together some ideas from people all across the world, you know, within your team. And really try and change the way we treat sleep apnea. You know, that was kind of, we're not doing a good enough job. And so it was an opportunity to come together, brainstorm, have some ideas, and really, what can we do with all of these experts across the world? What can we come up with um, in this shortened time frame to really make a difference in how we treat and, you know, diagnose sleep apnea? And we, you know, we, as a part of our contest video, we also had some patient stories as well. And I think that was an important element, you know, hearing from them that the treatment, it, it isn't good enough. Like we can do a lot better. And so that was an opportunity for us to brainstorm and kind of come up with ideas and, you know, having Dr. Magdi Yunus, our scientific founder who was focusing on this already was, it was just kind of a perfect opportunity. So talk to me a little bit about how sleep medicine is different in Canada. You know, I, I'm actually born, I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, and my mom is there and my brother is there and my sister-in-law, you know, they, they are all practicing physicians. And when we talk about sleep medicine and algorithms and, and testing and that sort of thing, it's, it's different in Canada. You know, it's, it's all HSAT for the most part and CPAP isn't a covered service. And so it just seems like it's a it's a different animal. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Canadian expert <laughs> by any means. I'm actually from the U.S., but I've lived here for the past six years. Um, it is quite a different market. You know, 89 to, 80 to 90% are level three, number one. And then there are just really long wait times for level one. So mm. level one is is covered, typically covered through the healthcare system. But we're talking, you know, two-year wait list um, in some places. And I know COVID kind of increased that as well with the shutdown of labs. Sure. Um, so longer wait times for the in-lab polysomnography and 80 to 90% of the sleep tests are home sleep apnea tests, um, level three or level four type of tests. Uh, we're trying to really change that with our technology by having level two. So being able to collect EEG in the home. Um, so do a full basically in-lab PSG in the home and also have it be self-applied by being able to watch videos and apply the electrodes yourself is really kind of a, a neat part to our technology. That's very cool. So let's take a short break and then talk more about innovative solutions in sleep medicine. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Narcolepsy treatment is about to change and Avidel Pharmaceuticals is leading the way. 
With our deep understanding of narcolepsy and unique drug delivery technology, we're committed to advancing narcolepsy treatment to make the dream of better days and nights a reality. Visit avidelfernarcolepsy.com to sign up for updates on our progress. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. I'm talking with Dr. Amy Bender about her winning proposal to reinvent the way we diagnose and treat obstructive sleep apnea. This just seems super cool to be able to get a better kind of understanding of their sleep quality, right? And how crap and then how much can you attribute that to their underlying sleep disordered breathing versus, oh, they probably are going to have like post-pap hypersomnia and need some modafinil or, ooh, could they also have IH or comorbid narcolepsy or whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, no, we are looking into these different patterns and Dr. Eunice is going to be publishing very, very soon on this um, based on these different phenotypes. And we really think that it could inform who may be adherent to CPAP down the road. Um, For example, if their sleep changed drastically with PAP treatment, you know, there is a higher likelihood that they will be adherent to CPAP because the quality of their sleep has changed, you know? And um, also as it relates to comisa and having comorbid sleep apnea with insomnia, there may be a way for us to determine, you know, maybe this person should get started right away on CBTI um, in order to improve that sleep depth, which could then help with the CPAP adherence. You know, but I I think, too, we need to go way beyond uh, CPAP treatment as well. Like Mm -hmm. we need to see who may benefit from alternative treatments, you know, and this may be a way to do that. Well, I agree. And I mean, especially, right, it's so evident now that we, uh, you know, are kind of struggling with this PAP recall. And, you know, I know I've, you know, I've always had conversations about non-PAP options with my patients. But I'm having them way more often now, Mm. you know, Mm. and it really makes me recognize that, you know, for so long, this has been our go to. And I'm not sure that we have developed those robust algorithms for the non-PEP options as much as perhaps, you know, we we will now. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that would be very cool to be able to use this and say, hey, based on your ORP, you might do better with you know, maybe a mandibular advancement device plus a little CBTI, right? Absolutely. And those are the clinical trials that we want to do. We want to look at the ORP sleep depth coming into a diagnostic study, study and then be able to potentially predict who may do better on CPAP versus, you know, an oral appliance or even CBTI. So you guys do a lot of things. Tell me more about Cerebra Health. Well, we're a Canadian digital health technology and virtual care company just trying to transform the way we diagnose and treat sleep disorders. So we are focused on obstructive sleep apnea. We're working on insomnia as well and also developing a a miniature wearable device in order to really just help people sleep better, even the general population, and pair that with a digital therapeutic and an app in order to accurately look at sleep quality and then determine what factors are influencing sleep quality. See, to me, that makes a a total sense is to look at insomnia 
with this ORP measurement. You know, it mm-hmm. kind of reminds me, we, we spoke to Karen Maskey recently, and she shared with us some of her work about sleep biometrics. And so it really kind of makes me wonder if um, your two ideas are complementary. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, we would, we are, we do, we do have a goal to potentially provide an objective test for insomnia. And I know it's easier said than done, but we do want to see if there are EEG biomarkers related to insomnia that could then potentially predict uh, better treatment options. Mm. Um, and, you know, currently we do have a metric ORP9, which is looking at the nine seconds post arousal. And what it's looking at is it's seeing how long does it take this person to get into a deeper state of sleep. And what we're finding a lot of times with insomnia is that they have a higher ORP9. So they have kind of more towards that wakefulness. And so by the time they get into that deeper state of sleep, you know, they've had an arousal since. So um, we're really fascinated by uh, a lot of these what types of biomarkers can we look at as it relates to insomnia? And would there be a way to develop a, an objective test that can lead to better treatment outcomes? So that, do you remember a few years ago when APSS was in person, Dr. Mignot presented his work on hypnodensity and kind of talked about how maybe we can diagnose hypersomnias based on PSG and not maybe need the MSLT? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, it's leveraging. It's going way beyond sleep stages. You know, we need to leverage the polysomnogram. There's so much information in there that we aren't utilizing, you know, for example, with heart rate variability and arousal intensity and, you know, the hypto density, like you just mentioned. Um, so it is a challenge. And I think if we want PSGs to survive, we need to leverage the information that's coming out of them. Oh my gosh, you're preaching to the choir. We've been, tra- <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying to figure this out. You know, my, my brother's an endocrinologist and I will often ask him, I'm like, okay, so if I have your patient in like a room for eight hours and I can get you any information you want from this patient, what would you want? You know, because in my head, I was like, well, is this like glucose? Is it cortisol? Is it thyroid? Is it, you know, any of those sort of things that have, you know, either like a 24 hour rhythm or circadian rhythm or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of wonder, you know, we've been so siloed for so long, but isn't there some sort of information that we can share with our colleagues that then helps them take better care of our mutual patients? And isn't that kind of a, a better you know, goal even, right? Because it's not just OSA, right? Like you don't just walk into one end of a sleep lab and then leave the other with a CPAP. There's so much more, but, you know, we've kind of, and I'm sure a lot of this comes from external influences with insurance, right? That they've realized that, well, you know what, this, you know, like like we had Doug Kirsch on and he described this as the PSG is a really expensive way to get an AHI and mm-hmm. you can get an HI in in a much less expensive manner. And I mean, that's a very valid point. And maybe we we do need to focus more on, you know, it's not just the AHI. It's all these things that you've talked about, right? The arousal index and and the sleep depth and all of these other metrics. And so how do we then coalesce around this, right? Like, how do we do this? (laughs) 
That's a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> um, I think I think we're getting there. I mean, I think uh, you know, with machine learning and AI technology, AI techniques, we can we can get there and we can really see what might make a difference at identifying different phenotypes and endotypes when it comes to these various sleep disorders. Um, but it, but it is challenging. I I don't know. I'm hopeful. I think we will we will get there, and the technology will advance so that we can really be able to utilize some of these metrics that we know little about. And so I think what I've heard you say is that we, you know, this tech. You're hoping this technology and other technologies will help us um, maybe have a more robust. PSG, or at least pull more information out of it. But then you also mentioned a miniaturized technology. So then will this then span into the home as well? So not just in lab PSG, but also in the home with really, is the goal then in your mind to um, deliver a more holistic approach? Or do you see it shifting more, you know, to the lab versus the home? Where do you see that going? Well, I am a bit biased because we have technology related to in in home PSG. <laughs> um, so I'll throw that out there. But even, you know, in the lab, it's not there's a first night effect. Number one, you don't sleep as well in the lab as you would at home. So I think I think that's where we should move towards. We should move towards more accurately accurately measuring sleep in the home. Number one. And being able to even, you know, it's still in the home, but we can still collect all of this information that we need. And currently, you know, we're able to do that with the level two device that we have, but it's not, you know, it's not seamless by any means. Um, it can be a little clunky, you know, you, you still have wires on. So I think there's a lot that can be improved there. Um, and that's why we're working towards this miniature device, this miniature EEG device. And currently we're actually running a study right now where we have mostly internal employees, family and friends doing 20 nights, 20 nights out of 25 days with this in lab P or sorry, at home PSG, our current technology. And we're really looking at different factors that may influence sleep depth or P sleep depth in particular. So we're tracking alcohol use, exercise, um, light activity, and then also linking that with reaction time performance as well. And so we're really interested in what is the variability in sleep depth from night to night? And are some of these lifestyle and habit factors influencing our sleep depth, which we know, you know, we know alcohol can kill uh, sleep quality and we know exercise can improve uh, sleep depth. So um, we're really interested in this variability from night to night. And then also how do some of these lifestyle factors influence sleep depth and how stable is it? So how do you see all of this changing our day-to-day -day in terms of sleep medicine and how we practice sleep medicine? I mean, I, I'm hopeful that it'll lead to better treatments. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, We need a better way of diagnosing different types of OSA, for example, or different types of insomnia. And then how do those types relate to better treatment plans? So... Um, 
yeah, I'm just I'm just hopeful that we can use this information to develop a better diagnosis plan, but then also lead to better treatment plans, better adherence to the different types of therapies to really help people sleep better. Well, thank you for your time and congratulations again on winning the Change Agents competition. Precision Medicine is coming to Sleep Medicine and you're among those leading the way. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.